0: Agencies across government are tasked with accelerating the development of mission-critical systems. We'll be presenting a series of podcasts throughout the year with federal executives and program managers to discuss what types of technology they're implementing and how to minimize inefficiencies and improve productivity to power technology modernization. Today's Low-Code episode is sponsored by Appian. Here's your host. Tom Temet.
1: Welcome back to our panel discussion Scalability and Security with Industry Leading Government Cloud, sponsored by Appian here on Federal News Network. My guests today are Ray Wolf. He's the industry lead for global defense and Intel programs at Appian. Stephen Hernandez is the chief information security officer at the Department of Education. Raven Manuel is senior application developer, architect, and DevOps engineer for the National Museum of African American History and Culture and Brett Mogalevski, Information Technology Specialist at the General Services Administration. He is the Mr.Cloud.gov guy, go to, you might say, and I'm your moderator, Tom Temin. Before the break, we were talking with Ray about possible approaches to refactoring, redevelopment, house cleaning, otherwise rationalizing and modernizing applications that may have been lifted and shifted perfectly well a while ago, or maybe a new program comes along look how many new programs were spawned just simply by the pandemic on so many agencies. So Stephen, let me ask you, how do you approach that? Again, you are cloud in mind to begin with, so we'll presume that it's for the cloud, but there's a lot of ways to skin the cat.
2: There really is. for us, for example, when the pandemic hit, we, we just had an incredible amount of work related to, to the CARES Act, to the American Recovery Act. There was just a mountain of work that was put in front of us uh, to make sure that we could, we could deliver our education mission. Um, and one of the things that became exceptionally pertinent was the utility of cloud as a, as a platform to basically rapidly span up capability. And what we discovered is that within our own department, we already owned most, if not all the platforms we already needed to move quickly. Most of what we had to do was really re-engineer the humans and, and get the humans focused on more agile processes to take advantage of those environments and then rapidly execute and move things forward. And this been not just in the, the DevSecOps space, but also in the security processes. You know, An ATO for a new platform can take three to nine months, depending on how quickly you can move. We don't have that time. How can we build processes that remain compliant keep us in in good graces with FISMA and our auditors, but also get things out the door quickly. And what we found is when we re-engineered processes and we started bringing in more of a scrum approach, a Kanban approach, and we focused in on, on attacking, let's get this one thing done, this next two weeks, the sprint cycle, we were able to move rapidly. And security was at the table in the beginning. We always preach about this, get security in the beginning through a more agile approach using DevSecOps, we had security at the table. We were assessing in near real time as the code was coming out and we were able to launch quickly. So lots of great lessons learned there. And I think that from a CISO perspective, it's probably the most integrative I've ever seen security in a project or a program versus our usual model of build the black box, we'll assess it and ATO it.
1: Interesting, yeah. So that continuous ATO goes with kind of the continuous Kanban, Scrum, whatever you want to call it, approach. Yes, absolutely. If you do it right, and, and Raven, uh, tell us how you approach that issue of development. You are the tech DevOps engineer there.
3: I I think you might have said it, Tom. Like the pressure, and I think it was you. Like it, the more you have the pressure. So what I've done is there's a devs at SI, so all of the devs, all of us that actually have to implement we usually get our leadership on board because the the entity that we have to convince is IT Enterprise, AKA OCIO. And we are trying very hard to come up with, because theirs is always security, to come up with a security model that exceeds theirs because we have this all of the Smithsonian policy and the policy that they go by. And so we look at, this is why I really like these type of panels because I look at the stuff that they're looking at and then I will implement the stuff that they would like to see. And I'll be saying, yeah, we need it. Like we know all about this. So for us to be able to move forward is for us to over-engineer our like basic applications and add this extra layer of security, even though it's not needed so that we can actually get buy-in from the people that we have to work work with.
1: And does that speed up your ability to get the ATO, <laughs> the authority to operate, if you have that security layer built in? No, <laughs> <laughs> still takes a while, huh? Yes. Brett, agencies come to you, and in some sense, you're a little bit of a cloud broker, maybe for lack of a better word. But you're also a, the transformation technology transformation service. You must have to do some assessment of do these guys. Are they taking the right approach? Do they seem to know what they're doing? Is that part of the hand-holding that GSA does? Uh,
4: I, I think so. I mean, we do make recommendations. Uh, there's a consulting arm of TTS called 18F. Uh, they do um, make recommendations based on, you know, where, where are you trying to get to in user experience and the mission and the value you're delivering, but also what are the trade-offs you're going you're gonna to have on the compliance side and how do you find, you know, you can't kick compliance out of that. Uh, equation and so you, and so looking for the sweet spot and, and where those are, uh, I will say for rapid development again, um, part of things is people understanding what's possible. Uh, they're they're in a in a world where they've seen things move very slowly and six to twelve month ATOs are normal. Uh, and uh, we've always had as our north star that you know we're looking for ATO in a day or or ATO where you ship you know your hello world or hello world app, not your hello world code, but your hello world app mm-hmm. has an SSP, has all the controls implemented does one thing, has one form, and you can bring it to your, your, uh, your CISO and have an ATO in, in a day, and then it's yours to lose as you add functionality. So that's the way we're approaching things. Um, we did recently ourselves, kind of astonish ourselves, I said that was the North Star to get ATO in a day. We recently had an experience at GSA where we did ATO in 14 days, and that was for a brand new system that had uh, not existed before those 14 days, I will say when the pressure comes on, as, as mentioned by Raven, uh, when the pressure comes on, that's a crisis-tunity, right? You can, you can say, hey, uh, based on this opportunity, we had people behaving in a way they, they, based on this crisis, we had people operating in a way they wouldn't normally. And we did come together around that because that was clearly the highest priority. And hey, look what happened. So in this case, we had the same thing. We had, um, you know, uh, an assessor sitting, uh, sorry, uh, um, a compliance expert sitting right next to, to me as I was implementing a proxy. And we were writing the policy. He was writing the text, and I was writing the code uh, side by side. Um, and we had the uh, you know David Shive, the, uh, the the sure. CIO for GSA, involved in the process. Understanding this is mission one for everybody under him, and that you know normally everybody is working at their own pace, they're asynchronous, they have ten different things they're trying to do. But if you can narrow the focus of your agency or your program and have all the people in the room that are necessary to deliver to production, you can move incredibly fast. Um, I don't know that we would would have would have wanted to do this application in four days. That was necessary for what we were doing, uh, but doing it in a month would be would be very easy, I think. Um, and so I think that's that also opened a lot of eyes. Uh, people who don't normally collaborate because they're sort of at a remove across the organization hierarchy, working together more directly uh, with with fewer barriers. Once they see that, then they understand. Okay, we could be better. And let's start let's start tearing down those barriers as a systemic problem that is that is there in the non crisis time. So I do think that that there are opportunities that come out of this. Um, I would say also it's it's brought for us in terms of our own products, we were using our own stuff. So we were using cloud.gov, we were using search.gov, we were using Federalist, we were using the web design standards. Um, and uh, I think that was really helpful. Another thing Steve mentioned earlier, uh, he talked about you know making sure your data is portable and using a SaaS business process entry. You know, 90% of government websites are a front page, a form, and then a back end business process that notifies you when things happen. And I think that that is something that has historically either been outsourced to contractors or been embedded in code and systems that are built. There's more modern ways to do that and iterate more quickly. Uh, There are standards like BPMN where you can capture your business process, re-architect it, change it on the fly just by changing a file of code as you find things things that can be more efficient and not change the code. Uh, And I think that's something that uh, the government is linked to. I don't think that I've seen much of that in progress and I think that's where things are going. But again, our hope is to, to have, you know, here is it here's an ATO-able app, a static front end, an app, microservice back end, maybe a business process, a BPMN, uh, business engine on the back end, with all the controls documented, ready to go. Here's your sample code. Take this to your agency. And then from there saying, okay, I got my ATO immediately, and now it's mine to lose as I add on to it.
1: Right. It sounds like you want to avoid having every agency repeat the eGov era, which was the kind of 20-year-ago approach from when we went to static web pages to something you could do a transaction on. Now we have these rich experiences of renewing and having accounts and and so on. So, Ray, that gets me to the question of what's, what's your best advice for launching a new program? It's going to be in the cloud. There's all these different approaches, as opposed to what we talked about earlier, which is refactoring the old ones. Well, there's there's a
0: reason why you're seeing such a, a ex- explosion in, in low-code platforms, because the platform itself to develop the applications is getting the ATO. So then you really don't you don't have to go through the ATO process again, where you're seeing organizations saying, okay, the platform's ATO'd, gone through all the security controls, and you you essentially can't break and have the open up those security doors that keep a CISO up at night. Uh, we've seen this in the Air Force, we've seen this in the Navy, we've seen this in many federal agencies where they say, you know what, the speed at which we want to develop applications, let's give a, we'll call it a safe working platform so that the application developers can focus on getting an application out early, have that MVP out early and have it tested early with early user testing immediately to say, okay, let's iterate from there. Meanwhile, it's already ATO. Now, granted, if you have a completely new API to something that is a legacy system and you're trying to uh, connect to that, that may be something that, okay, that, that should be something that they look at. But typically that can be either a no-code integration. Many of those are already built. That's where you're seeing a real uh, acceleration, especially during the pan- pandemic where agencies didn't have a choice. They couldn't, uh, they needed these applications much, much quicker. So mm-hmm. that's one key trend that's happening.
1: All right. So we want to make sure we create safe spaces for our developers with the ATO already built into the platform they're working in. Correct. All right. Stephen comment.
2: Love everything I've I've heard and and that is that is the path forward. Um, We build safe environments. We make the security ubiquitous. We make the secure way, the default way, the easy way folks will take that option every single day. And you know, short of some big changes in mission space, like if we're going from moderate data to high data, yeah, we're gonna be able to maintain that ATO quite easily. And the big intersection for us is really around that change management configuration management piece. As long as we get those security impact assessments in there as part of the routine sprints and actions, we can maintain that ATO seven ways from Sunday, no problem whatsoever. Some additional risk pops up, Great. Let's write out the acceptance. Let's make sure the AO is aware of it, signing off on it. Let's keep going. We need to do a POAM, same thing. We can do it all in near real time. It's just about making sure that the processes are keeping up with the demand.
1: And Brett, when you bring in, say, existing commercial services, software as a service, not necessarily in the entire application, but maybe as a component, because you don't want to have to reinvent that wheel, how does that affect the security posture? Because that might be coming from a third party.
4: So again, I think- this
1: Somewhere is else square. in the government even for that matter.
4: Or other places in government folks. So, and Cloud to is a great example of this, where we you know, we are a CSP for for other parts of the government. Um, yeah, it's absolutely the case. And you wanna have controls taken care of as much as possible. Uh, an example, if you are if you have a provider that's giving you databases, you wanna know that you don't have to worry about the database being encrypted at rest or using uh, encryption in transit for the data to get there, uh, you wanna know that um, you know, the backend is handled by people who are, are, uh, have a security process and background check on them. So I think there's a lot you can apply there. Um, on Cloud cloud.gov side, I think, I think we're looking more into brokering uh, as a concept. Uh, something that's come out of the previous work we've done, there's this thing called the Open Service Broker API, which allows for a lot more brokering sort of interactions between service providers to say, hey, I need to get a hold of that service provider. Uh, Give me the credentials I need. And knowing that on the back end, the the additional configuration that might be needed to be in a compliant posture happened before you ever got the credentials. In other words, it's baked in. So you're not not having to work directly at the IaaS layer to set these things up and know all the different things that you should be aware of. You're working at the application level to say, all I need are the credentials for where that database is. Please give them to me and and assure me that the back end is, is meeting all the requirements. Um, so I think that we're looking at that, you know, that's typically been for things like brokers or queues or, or, uh, or object storage. Um, we're looking at it now also up to the level of uh, can we broker a seat in a SaaS where that account in the SaaS is configured to require multi-factor auth and, uh, you know, uh, we're, we're collecting accounts that people aren't using them and it's doing single sign-on with an agency that's using their, their PIV and their CAC card. We're looking at brokering as as something that we can do, and when I say brokering, I don't mean in terms of uh, humans and agreements. I mean I mean sure. in terms of speed of an API uh, to say spin me up this, let's say an SEM uh, in 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 this SAS uh, and give me an organization where I'm going to put my repositories. That it should be that fast. That you say that, and you know it kind of appears, uh, and that that also dovetails with GSA's mission in FAS to say okay, we're going to be uh, as an agency looking at licensing in bulk across government and getting the best deal from vendors um, and going through the assessment period once and not redoing it for every single uh, agency or program that might want to use that service. So I All think right there's go. a there's a lot of opportunity there to go for
1: Well, we are out of time. I want to thank today's guests though for a great discussion. We heard from Brett Mogolevsky, Information Technology Specialist for cloud.gov at the General Services Administration. Raven Manuel is the Senior application developer, architect, and DevOps engineer for the National Museum of African American History and Culture. Stephen Hernandez is the Chief Information Security Officer for the Department of Education, and Ray Wolf is the Industry Lead for Global Defense and Intel Programs at Appian. Thanks so much to you all. I'm Tom Temmin. You're listening to Federal News Network. For more on this discussion, please visit federalnewsnetwork.com and search Appian.
0: Thank you for listening to the Low Code episode, sponsored by Appian on Federal News Network.